Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 262. No music today, no oh my goodness. I'm, I just, I'll be honest, I don't know if it's the... I think a lot of it is the the stuff we're going to talk about to start today's show. It doesn't feel right for me to do the, oh my, I just, I'm not feeling it today. And I think that's okay. Um, but I do hope everybody's doing well. And we kind of, we're going to start with a bombshell story from the NFL today. And kind of my biggest takeaway, you know, the Washington Post came out with this giant article. And Dan Snyder needs to be removed as the owner of the NFL team in Washington, D.C. That's my number one takeaway. From the story, a big story came out, was put out by the Washington Post. I read it. You can read it, too. It is behind a paywall. I didn't know if I li- I didn't really like that. I felt like they were nickel and diming people. Um, but I will say the Washington Post gives you a one-month trial. I paid a dollar. Normally, it's 15 bucks a month. I paid a dollar to get access to the article. I'm- I canceled my subscription. I'll do it tomorrow. Um, but you get one month for a dollar. If you want to read the article, you can. Um, and we'll break down the article in a minute, but I want to start with this. You know, my initial response to the article that I read about the football team in Washington, D.C. was that the culture of that organization is awful, just awful. And we've seen the team struggle on the field, but now we have evidence and there's overwhelming evidence that there are big problems off the field as well. Now, as I read the article, I thought of my girlfriend. I live with my girlfriend And I would not want her working for that organization. I wouldn't want my mom working for the football team in Washington, D.C. And it's not just women. I wouldn't want my best friend Nathan working there. Um, Nobody should be in an environment like the football team in Washington, D.C. That that work environment in the front office. Oh, man. Um, Awful. Just, Just awful. And so the story that I read is the stories of 15 women who... We're working for the NFL team in Washington, D.C. One of them shared her name. The other 14 remained private because they really wanted to protect themselves. And what I read was a bunch of stories of men abusing their power and abusing the dream that a lot of people have of working for an NFL team. I know when I was a kid, working for an NFL team was something I dreamed of. And people know that. People that work for the team in Washington know that, hey, that's leverage we have to treat people like crap. Because if they don't want that job, there's another thousand people lined up ready to take the next opportunity for that football team. For an NFL team, man, it's a big deal. It's bosses. The director of pro personnel, Alex Santos, was named. Uh, A broadcaster, the voice of the Washington football team, Larry Michael. A guy who had leverage, right? Dennis Green, Mitch Gershman, Richard Mann, the second. A lot of names of people who were in power positions in the Washington football team organization. And just so many people abusing their power. Women being asked to wear shorter dresses to meet with clients. Constant proposition and constant unwanted advances. Constant flirtatious texting. And unwanted comments from employees, you know, male employees, bosses to female employees about their boobs and the way they looked constantly. Very, very inappropriate, unprofessional behavior. You know, they would hire women who were straight out of college that didn't have corporate experience and just prey on them. Women who hadn't been in a corporate office before probably didn't know the norm, the expectations. And when new women were hired, the women who already worked there, the veterans in the office would come tell them, hey, avoid this guy. Avoid that guy. He's a creep. Avoid this location like there's a clear staircase 
where, I mean, like a see-through staircase where guys could look up through a woman's skirt in the office in Washington, D.C. Maybe it's in Ashford, whatever that office is where the, the, the football team works out of. <sighs> Toxic, uncomfortable, so many stories. And remember, this is a team with a value of $3.4 billion. How many human resources people full-time do you think they had on staff? How many HR people were on that team? There was one full-time employee on the human resources staff. One for a, a team va- with a valuation of $3.4 billion if you go on Forbes. It's unacceptable. There was no reporting process, and women knew you can't complain. If you complain about what was going on, the harassment you were getting, the abuse you were getting, the team knew, and they would tell them, hey, look, we're an NFL team. A lot of people want to work for our franchise. You got a 1,000 people lining up to take your job if you don't want it. So go ahead, complain. We'll fire you. Or are you going to call out the guy who is a broadcaster making a bunch of money? You make $30,000 a year. We're going to get rid of you before we're going to tarnish the name of the voice of the Washington football team. The organization was abusing and has been abusing the NFL name. And I just, the biggest takeaway here is the owner, Dan Snyder, needs to be forced out. He can no longer be an owner in the NFL. It can't happen. It can't be accepted. No matter what he knew about what was going on, it can't be allowed. He needs to be forced out. First of all, of course, if he knew about the misconduct, he's got to get out. But even if somehow, some way, and I, I find it very unbelievable that Dan Snyder wouldn't on some level understand and know what was going on with the culture of his organization. But if somehow he didn't know, that's not an excuse. He still needs to be fired because it's his job to know. If you're the boss, you gotta know. Like, if Strong Opinion Sports grows to be really, really big, if I'm gonna put my name on it, I'm gonna know how the people below me are treated because that's important. The way you treat people is very, very important. You gotta force Dan Snyder to sell the team. He's gotta get out of the NFL. You can't have that guy owning and operating an NFL team. And this is not the only evidence. I found a story, a story I didn't know about, quite frankly. A story came out to my attention, uh, New York Times, May 2nd, 2018, two years ago, over two years ago, where the football team took their cheerleaders to Costa Rica, made them take uh, topless photos, do a topless photo shoot. They had men, by the way, clients at the photo shoot watching, just hanging out, kind of scummily hanging out at the photo shoot. And then at the end of the night, Nine of the 36 cheerleaders were forced and had to be personal escorts for the team's paying clients. That's weird. Now, they didn't have to do the deed, but they had to hang out with these men. And that's just weird, creepy, uncomfortable. If you're a cheerleader, that's not why you signed up for this, to hang out with all. I I just, I don't know. Dan Snyder's got to go. And I want to let young guys know, young men, people need to know this. Do not text your coworkers flirty stuff, and do not hit on people at work. That's inappropriate workplace behavior. That, that can't happen at work. That's unprofessional. In the professional world, that, that doesn't happen. It can't be allowed to happen. And, and by the way, I know people out there are skeptical. Somebody out there is listening to me talk about this, furious, going, we need evidence. This is just one article. We need evidence. I've got really good evidence for you. Two of the names mentioned in the article were suddenly fired on Saturday, a couple days ago. And Larry Michael, out of the blue, suddenly resigned. Why would the football team in Washington suddenly fire two of the people mentioned in the article? They knew it was coming. 
Why would Larry Michael suddenly resign? Because he knew he was up to no good and didn't want to deal with it and wanted to get out of there. And Dan Snyder hired a lawyer, Beth Wilkinson, a local Washington, D.C. lawyer, to review the company practices. In my opinion, that's too little, too late. And, and I'll be honest, when I was listening and I guess reading the story on the Washington Post, I felt like I was reading something from like the world of Mad Men. Mad Men is a TV show set in 1960. This is not a story that I feel like should belong in. This story shouldn't happen anywhere, but this feels like a relic of the past. This kind of behavior in a workplace environment feels like something out of the 1960s. This shouldn't happen in 2020. It shouldn't be happening in the 20, any, nowhere, clearly no time at all, but 2003, 2010, 2020, this stuff can't happen anytime anytime at all. And then I got to wonder, okay, we know what was, what happened. And honestly, I think the, the hype about this story was really growing. People are like, oh my gosh, there's on the field stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I read the article and wondered by, after reading the Washington Post article, I had to ask, what don't we know? What information was left out? The rumors have been going wild. So my question is, what wasn't included in the article? What stuff is still out there? What stuff is still to be confirmed? I don't know, man. It's, it's pretty, um, it's alarming. It's not, not comfortable. I just, I think of my girlfriend and go, I just, I feel bad for any woman who had to work there and deal with that kind of harassment, constantly being catcalled, constantly being, you know, told to wear skimpier dresses or having, having, you know, your features of your body commented on all the time and you can't say anything. And you're, it's like the job you've wanted your whole life. Everybody, when I was a kid, I grew up wanting to work for an NFL team. I go back to that. This was people's dream job that got ruined. That's awful. Now, for me, here was the final punch in the gut. There was a, a quote in here. Julia Payne worked for the team in 2003 as their vice president of communication. And prior to that, she had worked as, the assistant, as an assistant press secretary for the Clinton administration, the President Clinton. And she said, quote, Julia Payne who worked in politics and for the football team in Washington, D.C., said this. He said, I have never been in a more hostile, manipulative, and passive-aggressive environment, and I worked in politics. The, the team in Washington was worse than politics. To me, I have a very low opinion of politicians. That's very telling to me that it was more cutthroat, more manipulative and hostile and passive-aggressive than politics, that's very alarming to me. Dan Snyder's got to go. He cannot be an owner in the NFL anymore. Get him out of there. Sell the team, kick him out. I just, I, I don't know. You can't, you cannot put up with that stuff. Again, young men, do not text your coworkers flirty stuff. Do not hit on people at work. It's inappropriate workplace behavior. And this was not just that. This was beyond that harassment, awful stuff every single day. And I just, I just feel bad for the women. I, I, I don't know. The thing that got me was I thought about my girlfriend. I thought about my mom. I even thought about my best friend. I said, I wouldn't want anyone I care about working for that organization. That's a litmus test for me. When you hear a bad story, you go, would I want my friends to work there? Would I want my girlfriend to work there? No way. I, I would not want anyone I cared about working for the football team in Washington, D.C. And um, they got to sell the team, restart, get a new owner in there, and try to completely flip the culture in the Washington, D.C. football team. By the way, um, Dwayne Haskins is 
the face of the organization in Washington, bar none. And here's how I know. I keep checking his social media. I keep looking to see what is Dwayne Haskins saying about this. Remember, he's the first-round draft pick uh, you know, last year, last NFL draft. He was a rookie last year. Had kind of a, I don't know. His first year was kind of ugly at times. But I kept looking to see what is Dwayne Haskins saying about not only this situation, how did he, I, when the, the name change news came out and it's pretty clear that the team in Washington is looking for a new name, I, I wondered, okay, what is Dwayne Haskins saying about this? Because he is their marquee face of the franchise player. Like it or not, that's just what, the truth. And then again with this, I looked, what is Dwayne Haskins saying? And so I guess kind of inadvertently in my mind, Dwayne Haskins is the player who represents the organization. He's their franchise quarterback. Whether um, I, I, We'll see what he does on the field. I hope he earns it and shows he's that on the field. But off the field, Dwayne is the guy I look to now that represents the football team in Washington. And you know what? I think he's totally capable of handling that very responsibly. I, I like Dwayne Haskins as a, a human being. Seems like a very good grown-up. And um, I, I will say I think that Ron Rivera, the NFL head coach, in Washington is a guy very well respected. I've heard nothing but good things about who he is as a human being. And if anybody can get a new owner and turn things around in Washington, it's Ron Rivera. And man, I think he's lucky to have a guy with the character of Dwayne Haskins. We'll see how Dwayne Haskins plays on the field, but it certainly helps that Dwayne Haskins is a high character guy who does a lot of stuff right off the field as well. Okay. Um, yeah, I need some water first. What a year. It's been a hard year. 2020 has been brutal. And, uh, I mean, the news is awful. I feel like every story I read gets worse and worse. It's one bad thing after another. Like Yellowstone might erupt. Or, you know, there are squirrels in Colorado with the bubonic plague. What the heck? Not to mention coronavirus. Oh, and then also it's an election year. So that's a whole other can of worms of that news cycle. My state of mind is really bad. You know, I, I feel a sense of restlessness. I don't, I, I can't be the only one. I guess what I'm trying to say is I need something to root for. I need something to cheer for and be happy about and be excited about. You know, sports for me are an escape. And that's why I love sports. It's my escape from reality. And I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way as me. They're in the same mindset. They, they want sports to escape. And I'm at the point where I just want to watch sports. I don't care if, you know, it's, I'll watch backups of backups. I just want to watch people play sports. I hope the NBA works in Orlando, the NFL, baseball. I don't care who's playing. I just want my escape. I want to watch sports so badly. And my belief is a lot of Americans feel the same way I do, where they need something positive to cheer for and root for and a reason to smile and be excited again. That's how I feel. I just feel kind of beaten down by this year. I cannot believe it's only, what is it, July still? The Super Bowl was in February. The XFL happened this year. Oh, my God. It's been the longest year I can remember. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, as I've grown up, the years seem to go by faster until 2020. And 2020 has just been slow and a slog. And I, I really, really believe that the sports ratings are going to be through the roof. If we get sports back, it's going to be a massive deal. It's going to do really, really well. People are going to watch like they've never watched before. 
basketball, baseball, football. People are searching for something good to pay attention to. I know I am. And I really expect if we, if and when we get sports back, the ratings are going to be through the roof and uh, very, very high. People are going to care tremendously about sports simply because they need something positive to cheer for. I mean, it's crazy. Is anybody paying attention to Yellowstone? They had 70 eruptions last month. Everything's shifting underground. I was actually there. Mammoth Hot Springs is like dry because the stuff underground has moved and shifted around so much. And people don't realize Yellowstone State Park, a national park, I guess, uh, in, in America, is a super volcano. It's a massive volcano. And I was DMing a geologist who saw my, my post about it on Instagram, my Instagram story. And he said, you know, if Yellowstone ever erupted, we'd have about two weeks of notice. That's crazy. Two, just two weeks. Apocalypse. What? And then, you know, another story I saw that blew my mind. And it's, it's like funny how scary this is. Like, it's like, oh, of course, 2020, right? Like, okay, maybe an apocalypse will happen because of silly, like, the volcano in Yellowstone. And then in Colorado, the squirrel has a bubonic plague, like the Black Death. That killed a ton of people in the Renaissance age era. I don't, I don't know my history well enough. A long time ago, it killed like half the globe. That's just casually in Colorado and a squirrel. And that's not a normal thing, by the way. Uh, oh, my. Ah, I just need sports. I'm going crazy. Um, I just need something to root for and cheer for right now. I need sports back so badly. And I, I can only imagine a lot of people must feel that way. I can't be the only one out there who's like, just give me sports, please. Please just give me sports. And um, so 22 NBA teams and their players are in Orlando. They're quarantined in their quote, you know, their their bubble. And the NBA is getting ready to do a restart. They're going to finish the NBA season, do some playoffs, a couple seeding games, like eight games to seed, then do the NBA playoffs and do it all at Disney World in Orlando. I hear they're fishing. There's a lot of shotgunning beers going on in the NBA bubble. It's a good time down there in Orlando. They're in Florida. Now, here's the weird thing. I kept reading stories throughout the week of guys complaining about their food. There's this one story. Rashawn Holmes, who plays for the Kings, broke quarantine to get a food delivery, like a DoorDash or Uber Eats, to get food because he, he wanted food better than what they had at Orlando. And it's so weird. Because of getting a DoorDash delivery, he had to be quarantined for 10 days. He broke the NBA bubble quarantine to get a food delivery. And I really, his mom was making fun of him on Twitter. His mom goes, am I in Florida? Because the only reason you do that is for mama's cooking. I I thought that was awesome. I really loved that. Um, But it's just weird for me. You're going to break quarantine for food delivery. What the, what's going on? And I, I just don't think that, a lot of people are like, well, the NBA players don't care. They're not bought in. I don't think that's the issue. I don't think that NBA players aren't bought in. That's not quite the problem. I think most Americans, you have to think about it this way. Most Americans would trade places for, with an NBA player. You know, you're going to live, you, you quote, have to. You have to stay at the Disney World Resort for three or four months. Oh, no. You have to play basketball. You have to make millions of dollars to play basketball and live at a resort. Right now, during a global pandemic, I'm sure a lot of Americans would love to trade places with an NBA player. And when NBA players complain about the food in a situation like today, 
and a situation like living on a, in a resort at Orlando. It seems like NBA players have lost touch a little bit. Like, the hardship they're having to endure just isn't that bad to me. I, I, come on, guys. Really? You're going to complain about that? And I think, honestly, this might be the first time a lot of NBA players have really, truly had their lifestyles affected by corona. They stay home. They order a lot of food. They kind of live—if you're really famous, you live kind of a quarantined, private lifestyle anyway. And the average salary in the NBA is so much higher even than the NFL, where an NBA player is really living a completely different, comfy lifestyle— much different than a normal American and much better and different than a lot of even athletes in America. Money can buy you a lot of things. And I just get the impression these guys in the NBA haven't been told no in quite a while. And they want to live normally as if there's not a global pandemic going on. And that's just not reality. You can't, there is a global pandemic going on. You have to live a little bit differently because of that. And I get it. Nobody wants to deal with this. I don't want to wear a mask. In my state, in Washington, you have to, you're forced to wear a mask. It's awful. I hate doing it. It doesn't really fit my face right. I stay inside a bunch. I, I miss going out. I'm going stir crazy. But these guys complaining about having to live in a resort, make millions of dollars on my basketball, I just have very little sympathy for them. Now, I really like what Giannis said. He came out and said, uh, you know, he's like the leader of the NBA right now. He's it's LeBron and Giannis, and I think Giannis might win the NBA MVP. And he came out and said that, you know, this is way better than how I grew up. So he's not going to complain, and I like that. You know, when I was a kid, there was a school year of my life where we lived in a mobile home. I slept on the floor in the, like, the kitchen living room area. Slept on the floor of a mobile home. That's one school year of my life. Now, the school year before that, we were homeless. <laughs> homeless. I lived that way as a kid. I lived homeless for a little bit, and I lived sleeping on the floor of a mobile home in a trailer park, literally. And so when I hear people complaining about living in a resort with the, you know, the food's not good enough, I, I really struggle to have any sympathy for them. And then I hear, you know, again, you're in Florida making millions of dollars to play basketball. So I really appreciated guys like Giannis who have come out and said, look, it's way better than how I grew up, or I, I know the situation we're in, and I, I appreciate what we have. I'm not going to complain. I, I just hear that. I hear guys complain, and I go, have you not had any hardship for quite a while? When's the last time you really dealt with a tough situation and were told no? Now, there's another cool story. Like, Drew Holiday came out and said that he's going to donate his salary um, to, to – to, he's going to donate all his money to a positive uh, source. And I, I love that because I think what's the motivation to play and do this NBA restart if you're just doing it for greater for yourself? A lot of these guys have so much money – you're like, I'm fine. I don't need the money. Why, what's my motivation to play? Well, hey, if I'm going to donate my salary, and I think his, it was his wife's idea, I'm going to donate my salary to a good cause. That's your motivation. That's awesome. It's really cool. And you now have a reason to play. Players need to find a reason to play. I don't think it's that they're not bought in. I think that their lifestyle hasn't really changed much due to coronavirus. And it's the first time really they've had to deal with any kind of change to their lifestyle. But I understand. You know, you get used to a certain lifestyle and adjusting is hard. But again, I'm just grateful for the guys who, like Giannis, who aren't complaining and are recognizing this is a, a wild situation. And you might not have all the things you normally have, but the world is slightly different right now. And let's accept that. Let's lean into it and uh, deal accordingly. Now, the NBA had a star, Zion Williamson, leave their NBA bubble uh, in Orlando. 
He left because of a family medical emergency. And as a fan, I'm, I'm sad to hear this because the first game of the NBA season has the New Orleans Pelicans, New Orleans Pelicans in it, a Zion's team. That's July 30th. And I go, man, it sounds like he's not going to make it for that game. I don't think he is because he's not quarantined. He's going to have to come back and get quarantined. Um, it's, it's a problem. It's concerning as a fan. But then I go, okay, basketball is a little bit small right now. I, I want some entertainment, but let's think about Zion as a human being. I don't care if Zion plays. Uh, family is way, way, way more important than a sport or basketball or some entertainment for me at my house. I don't know what the situation is. You know, my immediate thought when I heard that Zion left because of a family medical emergency, I went maybe a grandma is sick or a grandpa or a mom or a dad. And in a situation like that where maybe someone's dying, that, that's my, my fear. My thought was, okay, maybe somebody's dying in his family. And in a situation like that, you just go be with your family. You just, you just go. I don't care what's going on in your life. It's my, my advice really to people is if you have someone in your life, especially you care about who's dying, go be with them. Your work will always be there. You're always going to want to remember I spent my, their final days with them. It was really meaningful to be with my grandma on her final days. I remember those very vividly. My grandma's dead. And that couple days at the end is so much more important than a couple days at work. Zion might not play again this year because of who knows how long he's going to be gone. He'll come back. He'll have to quarantine for a while. By then, his team might not even be in the NBA playoffs. It might be over for them. We might not see Zion play again the rest of the year. That's okay. I can't blame him. I'm not even mad about that. It's, it's again, it's sad as my, as my, as a fan of basketball, a guy wanting to watch Zion play, it's like, oh, that's a sad missed opportunity. But he's a rookie. We're going to see Zion play a lot in the NBA in years to come. And there's always next year. Go be with your family. That's way more important. And I actually was happy to hear Zion. Like, I wasn't happy to hear Zion was gone. But given he has a personal family situation that, of course, is going to stay private, um, I'm happy to hear that he chose family over some basketball games. Because, again, there's always next year for Zion. He's one of the future stars of the NBA. And I think in that situation, you got to choose family. I'm glad he did. That's awesome. And basketball is a big deal. Sports are a big deal. Family's a bigger deal. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. We're going to talk about the potential Patriots quarterback next year. And you know what? Actually, I don't need to take a break. I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't know about you guys. I would rather just power through and keep doing the show. I'm going to open my, my uh, questions for Ask Zach as I talk. But I do want to say this. I saw a... I saw a report came out yesterday where some insider believes that Jarrett Stidham might be the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. And it was weird to me, I guess. And, and I can see a situation where maybe week one, Jarrett Stidham is the starting quarterback in New England because, okay, Cam Newton's coming in. He's got no OTAs, maybe no real practices. He needs a little bit of time to acclimate himself to the Patriots offense and their system. But I don't buy that Jarrett Stidham is the starting quarterback of the Patriots this year. Not long-term, not for a, a significant amount of weeks, because Cam Newton signed with the Patriots to be their starting quarterback. Listen to the way Cam has talked ever since signing with the Patriots. He chose New England to play, to be their quarterback, to get on the field. And so I, just, I would be shocked if Cam Newton didn't play for the Patriots. It's less about Jarrett Stidham. It's very possible. I was talking with Brett Coleman about this. I said, okay, if Cam Newton kills it, 
Do the Patriots keep him? And then the question is, well, how much do they like Jarrett Stidham? Jarrett Stidham had a lot better second second to last year of college. Jarrett Stidham had a lot better season than he did his final year of college. Maybe Jarrett Stidham is better than he was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, it's possible Jarrett Stidham is a future franchise quarterback in the NFL. We don't know. But this year is Cam Newton's year, and then if they like Cam Newton, they'll pay him and keep him. And if they really like Jarrett Stidham and they're okay with Cam, they'll they'll get rid of Cam after one year and then commit to Jarrett Stidham. But right now, Cam Newton, in my opinion, is the starting quarterback in New England. And I think it's weird. Anybody's entertaining the idea that Jarrett Stidham could be the long-term quarterback in New England for this reason alone. Cam Newton went there to be the starter. And I think the Patriots signed him knowing that was his goal and that was what he wanted to do. All right, guys, it's time for Ask Zach. My favorite part of the show is where we read questions from the audience. And if you don't know it, here's how it works. Go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It makes a huge impact on my life. It literally helps me pay rent. It literally helps me pay rent. Can't even talk. Um, but here's what happens. You give a dollar a month, and it gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, or ideas. You can write into the show. And if you submit a question to the show, I do not guarantee to read it on the podcast. But what I do guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple ones I like, read them on the podcast. Uh, The first question today, I keep getting a lot of questions. I keep getting so many questions about the Madden 21 quarterback ratings. I got three in particular, one from Andrew, one from Jackson, one from Bobby. I'm not going to read all their questions. I'm just going to read what their topics were about and then address the Madden 21 ratings. Andrew right in just saying, you know, what are your thoughts about the Madden 21 quarterback ratings? Jackson wanted to know what I thought of Deshaun Watson being rated so low, like an 86. Uh, Bobby wanted to know why Dak and you know Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz are the same overall rating. They're both 84, which is kind of weird. And so I, I want to start with this topic about the Madden quarterback ratings to say I don't actually care that much. I keep getting a lot of questions, and I wasn't going to talk about it. But I got so many responses on Patreon and on Instagram and on Twitter of people saying, what do you think of this? And I know that the news cycle has kind of ended, but I just, I don't care about Madden 21. I don't care what, I don't know who chose the the ratings of the NFL quarterbacks. I don't know. I don't know if they know football very well, given what they decided to do. Um, and I will say, I'm bitter about Madden. I play Madden 11 still on the PlayStation 3. You know, I talked about how I, I move, whenever I play Madden, I move the team out of Washington and move them to another city and pick their uniforms and yada yada. People are like, you can't do that. You can't on Madden 11 because that's the Madden I still play because I think it's the better, best Madden. I miss franchise mode. I'm very bitter about Madden. I think the new Madden games are awful and really frustrating to me. Now, the ratings I read are a bit ridiculous. I, I thought they nailed two things right off the bat. They got Patrick Mahomes with an overall rating of 99. Russell Wilson's at 97. Hey, two good moves right off the bat. Apparently, they have eyeballs and can see Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes. They're incredible. But from there, it gets weird. Now, Aaron Rodgers is lower than both Drew Brees and Tom Brady. That's alarming. That's bizarre. I don't understand it. It's kind of stupid to me. Aaron Rodgers has an overall rating of 89, where Tom Brady's 90, Drew Brees is 93. To me, Rodgers is more like the 93. I've said I don't know that Rodgers is an elite quarterback. He's still very, very, very good. Like Just because he's not the, one of the best four quarterbacks in the entire NFL— does not necessarily mean Aaron Rodgers is bad. Like, why Why is me saying Aaron's not elite mean people think I'm saying Aaron's bad? That's not the case. Um, Aaron's the 93, in my opinion. 
Drew Brees is the 90. Tom Brady's probably the 89, somewhere in there. Brees, I don't know. I think Brees and Brady might both be in the low 80s, to be honest. Uh, they need good players around them to win. And I think that they're definitely helped a lot by having great receivers and a great defense around them. Tom Brady had a great defense. Drew Brees had a great defense and Michael Thomas and a great receiving core. You're looking at what Tom Brady's walking into in Tampa Bay. T- Tom Brady left the Patriots because he needed better people around him. Tom Brady's not an overall 90-rated quarterback anymore. I think Madden gets a little stuff wrong like that. Um, Deshaun Watson has a rating, overall rating of 86. What are you smoking? I think Tiburon is, is where they make Madden happen. Tiburon, New Jersey, I believe. I have no idea. Never been there. Connecticut? Question mark? I have no idea. Tiburon, I remember in the old Maddens, was like the default location if you created a team. So I think that's where they make the game. Um, 86 for Deshaun Watson? Lower than Tom Brady? Lower than Drew Brees? Are, are you on drugs? What's going on? Uh, Deshaun Watson, in my opinion, is the third best quarterback in the entire NFL. 86 is a, a very weird omission that I don't understand. Um, criminally ridiculous. Now, Carson Wentz at 84. Here's what I think is weird. Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott were given the same rating in Madden. That's how you know Madden's dumb. What? Dak Prescott's got great weapons around him. Did anybody watch the Eagles last year? How many injuries they had out? Carson Wentz made the playoffs throwing to nobody. Nobody. Carson Wentz is an overall rating of 95 in my opinion. He's an incredible quarterback. I think the fourth best in the NFL. Uh, I'd go Mahomes 99, Russell 97. That's fine. Deshaun Watson 96, Carson Wentz 95. Bam. Those are my top four quarterbacks in the NFL. We'll put Aaron Rodgers at 93. We can say he's the fifth best in the NFL. I'm fine with that. Um, I, the fact that Carson was put at the same level as Dak Prescott is just ridiculous and, and a, not even borderline offensive. It is offensive. It's weird. I don't know. I don't know what you were watching last year. If you think that Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott have the same talent level and ability level, I, I just think you're dead wrong. The final thing I have to say is, you know, Kyler Murray had a speed rating of 91. He didn't like that. Now he is the second fastest quarterback in the NFL. I think 91 is actually a good rating for speed level for Kyler Murray. That's fine. But what Madden got wrong about Kyler Murray was his acceleration. Kyler's top end speed is not the fastest in the NFL for a quarterback or anybody. He's not the fastest guy from one end of the field to the other. But where Kyler Murray really excels, what he does and makes him elite as a runner is his short burst, that acceleration to get to the outside. I watched a good friend of mine at Good Friends of Stretch, a guy I used to play with in high school. He came over to my house for breakfast a couple times. Samson Ibacom plays defensive end for the L.A. Rams. I watched Kyler Murray, no offense, Samson, I love you, make Samson look silly, where Samson, Kyler literally beat him to the outside. Samson had a head start, was in position, and Kyler still found a way to scamper to the outside and beat him all the way to the edge when Samson was in position. Kyler Murray's quickness is un. Believable. His acceleration is crazy. It should be at least a 95 or 96. Kyler Murray's acceleration is the thing. That's the story, not the top end speed. It's Kyler Murray's acceleration that Madden got wrong. Now, Lamar Jackson's acceleration should be 99. You're like, what? Uh, I know people who coached for Texas A&M and tell stories about watching Lamar Jackson in college. Instantly gone. He's just like a lightning bolt. He's there one second, the next second he's 80 yards away right at the end zone. You're like, how? I think 96, the speed rating for Lamar Jackson was about right, but Lamar Jackson's acceleration rating 
Should have been 99. I, I know Madden developers probably are like, well, we can't give Lamar Jackson that you know acceleration rating because then he's untouchable and unbelievable. And they don't want a Bo Jackson situation on Techno Bowl years ago where he was like the best player in the game and everybody wanted to use him. But everybody should want to use Lamar Jackson because if you create a Madden quarterback, on like if there was a real-life Madden quarterback, Lamar Jackson, it's exactly what you would do and create a player. He's got 99 acceleration. That's what he should have. I thought they skimped a little bit on that. There was another... I, I want to give Madden credit on one thing. They got one thing right, but also at the same time got it partially wrong where... They rated Jordan Love an overall 71, and they had Justin Herbert lower than Jordan Love, which is like, for some people, blasphemous because Jordan Love was at the end of the first round drafted, and Justin Herbert was a sixth overall pick. In my opinion, good call. Jordan Love's a 71. Justin Herbert's a 70. Jordan Love's a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. No problem. Like that. What I did think they got wrong is they had Jalen Hurts at an overall 68. I'd put Jalen Hurts at a 72. But at the very least, give Justin Herbert the 68. And Jalen Hurts, the overall 70 rating. Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback in every aspect than Justin Herbert, in my opinion. And I don't know. This is also stupid. Like, I'm talking at length about these people deciding ratings about quarterbacks. They, I don't know if these guys know football or not. Um, I don't think – I don't respect their opinions. I don't think they got a lot of stuff right. I think the developers are mad at them and been getting stuff wrong for years with all kinds of stuff. And I know the media loves to – people and everyone loves to go – Oh, this guy got screwed over. A lot of it's ego. Like, I see players going, hey, I should be rated here. It's like, it's all ego. Who cares? Um, but I think that I just hate Madden. I, I miss the old Madden. So I think Madden Madden could be this incredible RPG-style system where you have players in franchise mode and you're upgrading them over years. And even in Madden 11, my favorite Madden game, there's a cap of your franchise can only go for 30 years. And there's literally a symbol that says, you have completed in franchise mode. And I've done that so many times. And it's like, Why? Why, why does this happen? I don't care. Um, I, I just miss franchise mode. That's what I play Madden for. I don't care about online play. I don't care about playing my friends. I, I play because I like building a franchise and having fun with that. So Madden 11's a game I still play. And uh, Madden 21 can eat it. I don't care about it very much. And uh, the ratings, a lot of stuff is wrong. In the end of the day, I don't, I don't care that much. I, you guys wanted to hear about it. I shared my opinion. And I hope you enjoy it. Um... Sean writes in, Sean says, hey, Zach, there have been a lot of people on Instagram saying they wouldn't pay Jamal Adams because he has a safety. It seems as if safeties are looked at like the running backs and that they are somewhat replaceable. For example, look how the Cardinals weren't willing to pay Honey Badger in 2018. If you were a GM, what positions in the NFL would you be willing to pay the big bucks for? Okay. Um, I mean... Here's the thing about a safety. Not every safety has the impact of Jamal Adams. I want to focus on the Jets and their safety, Jamal Adams. A good friend of mine, Brett Coleman, made a great video explaining why Jamal Adams is so great and how he has such a big impact on the Jets' defense. He's the best safety in the NFL, and he had a huge impact last year for the New York Jets. I mean, he's he's a guy you can't replace where... You pay him. You have to pay him. Instagram commenters are stupid. What are they? Brett Coleman knows more about football than most people forgot about football. Brett Coleman knows he's a wealth of knowledge and he watches so much GD film, like so much stupid, like a stupid amount of film. You're like, Brett is still away. I, I don't I don't know how Brett does that. I'm so impressed with Brett Coleman. And if Brett Coleman says Jamal Adams is what he is, believe him. Do not you better listen to Brett Coleman. Go watch his video. 
Jamal Adams can cover, he can tackle, he can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's like a linebacker who can also play safety and play the ball. It's, it's unbelievable. And so Jamal Adams, you pay the guy, he's worth every penny. He's not a running back. Jamal Adams has a massive, massive impact on the Jets' defense. You pay him in a heartbeat, and the Jets don't want him. Oh, my goodness. Every other NFL team in the league would pay Jamal Adams like that because they would love to have a player like that on their roster helping them attempt to get a Super Bowl. Okay, uh, Dominic writes in. Dominic says, Hey, Zach, big fan and silent Patreon subscriber for a few months now. My question is, I saw Mike Leach tweet yesterday that I thought that was pretty good. He said, if you could know the truth behind any mystery, which mystery would you choose? Have a great, uh, have a great day, man. Uh, Dominic, thank you. The one mystery, like, I, this is why I would love to have, I'd love to be the president for like a day so I could like access everything our government knows. I just want to know if we found aliens. I so, <laughs> I so badly want to know. Do aliens exist? Do we, do we have evidence of them? Why, if so, why are we keeping it a secret? Are we afraid of religion getting destroyed by aliens? I don't know. I just, that's the information. There was one secret I could know the information to. It is, are there aliens? And if so, what do they look like? I want to know everything about aliens. I want to know all the alien secrets I can. Uh, that's the one secret. If I could find anything about, that's what I want to know. I guess I'd also love to know who killed JFK. Um, like, truly, I want to know more about that assassination. If you ever looked into the JFK assassination... There's a lot of stuff that doesn't add up and makes really no sense. Um, but aliens, man, I need to know. I, I I am obsessed with space. I have in my whole life. Football, space, and now Formula One are like the things that I'm really, really obsessed with. I love space. I want to go to space. And um, that's all I want to know. I want to know, are there aliens out there? I have to find out. I so badly want to know, are there aliens out there in our universe? And if so, and, and if people know about it, why haven't they told us? Because I, I would... I, I just so badly would love to know. Maybe they're afraid of the, the apocalypse and people freaking out and religion destroying everything. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but um, I, if there are aliens out there, I so badly want to know. Okay, uh, Akib writes in. says, Hi, Zach. What do you think is the best skill you've learned from playing football that has transferred well into life outside of being an athlete? Uh, Akib, I learned people skills. That's the biggest thing I learned playing football. People skills, how to work with other people. It's so important to know how to work with the people around you and how to motivate people and how to be a, a helpful motivator and not a, a problem. Oh, and sometimes when to take the back seat and let another person lead. And it's, I think football's really helped me in group projects in life and doing other stuff. Working in a group, football made me so much better. Now, I also learned that it's really tiring to work in a group and really hard. I, I prefer to work alone. I'm very happy. Um, running my own company and being by myself and not having to collaborate with other people. And, um, you know, it's really frustrating when you can't choose the people you work with. If on a, you're on a football team, you might hate some guy's guts and think he's got a bad work ethic and he's lazy and doesn't care and you still need him. And that's, that's how the world works. I mean, in an office building, you don't really pick everybody you work with and you still need probably to cooperate with the people you work with. So football is this incredible analogy for life that I think can be translated so well to every other aspect of life. Um, you know, another thing that football, really the best thing I learned from football was preparation. I was never the most talented kid in football. I was never the biggest. I'm 5'11", uh, a buck 80. That's it. I'm, I'm slow. Uh, I could move like a little tiny bit, but I was never going to win a race against anybody. I could run for like 10 yards and slide. Um, so the way I, I made it work in football was I had to be very prepared. 
very, very detail-oriented. I was never going to win with the strongest arm or being the most talented. And so that's the thing I believe I really have carried over to my professional career is that, you know, I played quarterback. And for me, quarterback was not just a position I played. Quarterback was who I was. I mean, I was a quarterback as a human being. And I try to carry that everywhere with me. Not, you know, I'm not in the NFL, but I can in my professional life be a quarterback in every day with where, how I interact with people, how I take on tasks, the responsibility I take on. Um, I can dominate what I do, even if I can't dominate as a quarterback anymore. Um, and even though I never really did dominate as a quarterback, in my opinion, I, I was okay. I was a solid co- uh, high school and college quarterback. Um, but every lesson I learned from football helped me throughout life and helped me get to where I am as a YouTuber and as a podcaster. Um, you know, whether it was me asking questions at on an ESPN set saying, you know, you know, I was at ESPN doing being a camera's assistant, taking notes and asking so many questions. And, you know, that helped, allowed me to learn how to operate a camera. So when an opportunity came, I knew how to do the job or making self-corrections. The football taught me how to evaluate myself and be self-aware and try to make corrections, you know, with my behavior or whatever or this or that or, you know, my, it's mechanics or a process I'm doing at school. It taught me how to be a better student because I was always constantly figuring out how could I be more efficient in whatever way I'm doing things. Um, doing research was a big thing football taught me. Uh, when you're learning how to operate a camera, how to edit audio, how to Google stuff. So much people ask me all the time how to do a podcast. I Googled it. So much of that was I took initiative and I figured it out myself with Google. Or, you know, finding creative solutions is another thing football taught me. Um, you need this guy to go here, and how, do you, how are you going to do it? How are you going to convince a guy to, to show up on a Saturday when you need him to do a workout? How are this or that? I think football is uniquely got a lot of parallels to life. You know, because you have a big team size, a football team is like a corporation, and there's so many roles. You can, the head coach is the boss, and the quarterback's the star or whatever, and you got you got to work together to make a football team work and win games. And I think football is a crazy good analogy for life. Uh, but really, you can learn from anything, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, robotics club, cello, piano, theater club, um, people skills, work ethic, self-awareness, and attention to detail are all universally important. And you know, when I have kids someday, I don't care what they do. I, if they want to play football, I'll support that. If they want to play soccer, God forbid, I'll support that. Uh, bowling robotics club, theater, cello. I just want my kids to do something because if you do some kind of activity, any activity you do, it pushes you as a human being and teaches you all kinds of lessons. Even I think video games is an underrated thing. I mean, video games are video games and skateboarding are two things that I love to do that um, have taught me a lot about life. Skateboarding, man, try to learn how to do a kickflip. It's so hard. You can't tell me a skateboarder doesn't know anything about resiliency because Doing a kickflip is impossible. When I learned how to do a kickflip, it was so hard. And then when I got there and I learned how to do it, oh, it was the best feeling. And then I encourage people, go look up Dark Souls. Dark Souls is a trial and error, rinse and repeat, death. you got to learn from yourself and make mistakes and figure it out. Even video games, the bad rap they get, there's a lot of trial and error and learning you can do in a video game. Or even... Like, this is really dumb, but like playing Fortnite with your friends can teach you how to communicate and cooperate. Like basically any activity you do can push you as a human being if you're open to learning from it. And uh, those are lessons I learned in football. But man, if you're a kid out there and you don't play football or whatever, go do something. Join robotics club, do theater. Like 
I wish I'd done theater. I never had the courage to step onto a stage. I would have loved to, but I was too afraid of being in front of a crowd and getting made fun of, which is so weird. I could throw touchdown passes in front of thousands and thousands of people, but oh, God forbid, 200 people watched me do something in a play at high school. Like, I wish I'd done that. And so I, I think anything you do in life, any activity you choose can teach you a lot about life if you allow it to and you're open to it. Hey guys, I want to tell a story. I finished recording and I realized that this is a really big lesson I learned in football that I should share. And so to kind of set the stage for the story, it was, I was part of the 2015 quarterback class with like Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen and so many really good high school quarterbacks. And I was at the Eugene, Oregon camp. It was the NFTC from Nike, which basically became a de facto Elite 11 regional tryout because there were two spots left in the Elite 11 and all the Elite 11 regional tryouts were over. And so they were really evaluating the quarterbacks there to see who can we get. Is anybody left in the country that deserves to be in the Elite 11? And Ricky Town was there. He had flown up from California to work out in front of Trent Dilfer. Ross Bowers was there. They gave Ross Bowers a spot at the Elite 11 on that day. And I was working very, very closely with Trent Dilfer. And I, I was, I'm very proud of this day. It's probably the best day I've ever had at a camp where I was killing it, making every single throw. My footwork was incredible. And I was showing up guys like Brett Rippon went to Boise State, became a freshman quarterback. They're starting quarterback freshman year through a senior year, four-year starter at Boise State. I had a much better day than Brett Rippon. Now, part of that was because he was dealing with allergies up in Eugene. Uh, and uh, Ricky Town, the guy who they ended up picking for the spot, had an ACL injury. Maybe that is why I did better than them on that day. But I, I killed it that day. I was very, very proud and I got Trent Dilfer patting me on the back, calling me by name, got his arm around me. I'm killing it. And I'm like, man, this is my opportunity to earn a spot at the Elite 11. And I'm a no-name quarterback, no offers, nothing like that. I'm like, this is my opportunity. And at the very end of the camp, we're doing like half-field seven-on-seven where there's not a moment where I have a comeback. And instead of throwing the comeback, I throw the check down on the flat. And Trent Dilfer calls me over and goes, hey, kid, Zach, get over here. And says, hey, Zach, I love you. You've had a great day. I want to let you know you're not going to be an Elite 11 quarterback because we need a guy who can make that throw. We need a guy who can throw the comeback in that situation, and we need a guy who can make the throw the comeback. And I just took it. I said, okay, okay, coach, yes, sir. Um, and I was dejected, but, hey, he's the coach. He knows what he's doing. And I've thought about that moment so many times in my life because I, I didn't challenge him, not in a harsh way. And maybe if I, I, if I could go back to that moment, I'd say, hey, Trent, you're wrong. Give me another opportunity. Right now, I'll throw that comeback. I can make that throw. I could have made that. I could throw a comeback. What the heck? But I, I never challenged Trent Dilfer there. And I don't know if he would have responded well. I'd love, to, I'd love to have Trent on the show someday to talk about it. Like, hey, Trent, how would he have responded? And maybe if I said, hey, Trent, I can make that throw. He said, nah, shut up, kid. I'm just, you're a dumb high school kid. I love you, but your day is over. We're going to go with somebody else. But the fact that I didn't speak up at all, it's something I so greatly regret. And so that's something I've learned. Football taught me that is, number one, you know, you can't change the past. I, I know that if, if I'd spoken up and made that throw, maybe I make the Elite 11, maybe I, my, I, maybe I don't make the final 11, but I go to the, the Elite 11 opening camp and I get a scholarship offer. That would have been incredible, right? And I, I just think about that moment a lot because I never challenged Trendell from that moment. So I encourage you, you can't change the past, but you can learn from it. And Four years ago, my little brother died, and it changed who I was as a person a lot, and I think now I'm the kind of guy that speaks up a lot in that moment. When I'm challenged or I, I think somebody's wrong about me or whatever, I'm not afraid to say, hey, 
I can do that. I can make that throw. I got an, I got a job as a camera operator for the Pac-12 years later from that because I spoke up. I said, hey, I can run the camera. I can do that job. And there are a lot of moments in my life like that where I can't change what happened in high school. But I know I can learn from that opportunity in that moment and do better next time. That's one of the best lessons I learned from football. And another thing I thought about, you know, I didn't realize you could make your own opportunity. That's a big thing I never really understood as a high school kid. I was very timid and, hey, coaches know better. You do what coach says. Especially Trent Dilver won a Super Bowl. But what I wish I'd also said is, hey, okay, maybe Trent doesn't want me Elite 11. I lived in Portland, Oregon. The opening happened in Beaverton, literally like 20 minutes away from where I lived. Why didn't I ask, say, hey, Trent, you might not want me as an Elite 11 participant. Fine. Can I come help out at the Elite 11? Can I be a sponge and learn? Me and Trent had a great rapport on that day. Literally, like, he had his arm on me all day, working very close with me, giving me high fives, telling me great job. And I was pretty much the only person other than Ross Bowers and Brett Rippon and Ricky Town that he called by name. I was the only—and they're all scholarship guys. I was a no-name kid. And so very clear to me. Trent Dilfer liked me. I got a picture with him. It was really cool. Very, He's very kind to me. At the very least, I could have said, hey, Trent, you might not want me at the Elite 11. No problem. Can I hold a broom and run quarterback drills or be a sponge and take notes or do video or something so I can be there at that camp and learn something on that day? I should have asked for that opportunity because the worst Trent Dilfer could say is, hey, kid, we're not going to let you throw the comeback. Or, you know what? You can't come to the opening in Beaverton 20 minutes from your house. But you never know. He might have said yes. And if you never ask, the answer is always no. And so I just that story, I finished recording the show and it's like I should put that back in because that's something I regret a lot from high school. Not that I didn't make Elite 11, not that Trent Dilfer didn't want me, not that I couldn't make the throw, whatever, but it's because I didn't speak up. Trent Dilfer said I couldn't throw a comeback, and I could have thrown that comeback. I'm very certain of that. Uh, would he have taken me? I have no idea. Like, I was a no-name kid. I, I played D3 football. Like, I, he didn't want me. That's okay. But I wish I'd fought for myself a little more in that moment. I, just, I encourage anybody out there, don't be afraid to speak up. Don't be afraid to fight for yourself and fight for an opportunity. And don't be afraid to think outside the box. Again, if I could go back and say, hey, Trent, maybe you don't want me, but can I be at the opening? Can I be there taking notes and learning and being a sponge as you guys go through drills? It couldn't have hurt anything. And if you never ask, the answer is always no. Don't be afraid to push for opportunities. Don't be afraid to speak up and defend yourself. If you think you can do something someone's doubting you on. And don't be afraid to speak up in general. That's what I really, a lesson that really sticks with me from high school is that interaction with Trent Dilfer. Trent, if you're listening, please come on the show. I'd love to talk to you about it someday. I think about that moment a lot. Uh, It doesn't weigh on me, but I do know that I do differently today. I can't do differently. That moment's over. But you can do differently the next time you're in an opportunity like that. Please, I'm begging you, don't be afraid to speak up. All right, guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. That's all I have today. I want to end the show the same way I always do, which is to say that four years ago, my younger brother took his life. He uh, committed suicide. And I learned two really painful lessons from that experience. Number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. My brother suffered in silence. He never told anybody he was having a hard time. And uh, one day found him dead on the floor. It was terrible, horrible experience. I'm just begging you, if you're struggling, talk to a teacher, a coach, a professor, a counselor, a best friend, a, a, a parent, a friend's parent. Talk to somebody in your life and go get help. And if you really, truly have nobody you can talk to... As a last resort, if there's nothing else you can do, you can call the Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255 is a suicide hotline where you can go get help if you really have no other option to turn to. And the second lesson I learned when my brother died was that if you're, you know, please tell the people in your life you care about them. Give them a hug. 
your girlfriend, your dad, your stepmom, your brother, your sister, your best friend, uh, some dude you don't see very often. Say it. My dad always says, say it out loud. Tell the people in life you care about them. There's a dude that has given you a pencil every single day of school, and you're just glad that he did that for you. Tell him. Tell him you're thankful. Don't be afraid to communicate your feelings, and the people in your life that have an impact on you, tell them. Tell them you care about them. Tell them you love them, and if make the door open. Hey, if you're struggling, you can come talk to me. Tell the people that. Uh, I just encourage that in my life. My name is Zach Schallmer. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Hope you have a great day. Uh, wow, that was little over 50 minutes, all one take. Hope you're doing well, and I'll see you. I guess this is an early, early morning on Friday. Uh, we will record the next episode, hopefully Friday night or Saturday morning. But I'm bum. Bam, we are.